0: We are continuing our names of God. We're on uh, Elohim this morning. Uh, So we are going to start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So it should be easy to find if you don't know where that's at. It's the very first verse of the Bible. So go past your introduction, your table of context, and find Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We're not going to read the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to read the first five verses, so if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'd stand with me as we read this, Um, we're going to read the first day's account in Genesis chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good." And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the night day, the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this powerful truth that reminds us of you as our Creator. And so Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us from your word, that we would be reminded of your goodness. So Father, we come before you this morning to offer our worship and praise and to give you glory and honor which is due your name. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. Genesis chapter 1. So the name here that we're going to look at is actually found several times in this chapter. It is the name is Elohim E L O H I M. Um, there are a lot of things we could say about it that I'm not going to talk about this morning. There uh, are countless things we could spend probably a whole sermon series on just this name of God. Uh, essentially, I won't give you the definition. It is Almighty, All-Powerful Creator. So there's a lot of connotations to strength and power and might. And of course, if you study uh, the name Elohim, you'll find that it is in the Hebrew. It is in the plural. Um, sometimes it is uh, in reference to other gods, small g with an s at the end. And when it is used in the context of God, Jehovah, it is in the plural, but you'll notice that the, the verbs are usually in the singular. So um, what is impressive or important about this is because uh, there are a lot of theories on why is it, is it is in the plural. Um, uh, one is the, uh, the plurality of glory, that, uh, that he is so glorious and powerful. Um, a lot of people uh, will, will say that, but uh, I'm convinced and many theologians are convinced it is in the plurality because it is in reference to the Trinity. God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so you'll read in accounts of, of Genesis for example where it says let us let us make man in our image um, uh, and there are several other things. I'm not going to get into deep detail about that but it's something to, to think through and to think about. Elohim, plural um, but the verbs are usually in the singular when it's in reference to Jehovah. So it's all Next, we want to talk about the context of this name. and That's where we're going to kind of dive into this passage. And uh, when you start talking about this chapter, and you start talking about creation, there's so much that can be said. It's such an incredible thing. Uh, I think of right away Paul's writing to the Romans. He says in Romans chapter 1, verses 19-20, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So in other words, what, what uh, you can see about God is plain because God has showed it to them. So many people cry out and say, if God would just spell His name out in the clouds, I would believe in Him. The reality is He has. He has. And so Paul goes on. He says in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1 For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been, notice what he says, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. When we open Genesis chapter 1, it is a declaration of Elohim. Our Creator. It is a declaration of His glory and His power. It is one of the most important chapters of the Word of God. It is a chapter that Satan hates and attacks with all his might because it declares the glory and the power of God. I mean, you just look at creation and it is amazing to me. You know, we, we, we walk outside and for, you know, a Dominican... I was born in the Dominican, so I'm a Dominican, right? You know, walking out in 24 degrees weather is unbearable. But it is a reminder of... God. The seasons are an incredible reminder of God. You have you have spring, which is new life. And I think of creation and, and God creating things. And then you have, have summer, this incredible time of fruitfulness and, and and beauty. And I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and then you have the fall. Is it not ironic? It is called the fall. Brothers and sisters, when things begin to become cold and dark and dreary, reminding us of the failing and sin and temptation. And then you have winter which so often symbolizes death and burial being covered only to have spring arise again and the resurrection that we celebrate easter in the spring the seasons proclaim the glory of god everything proclaims the glory of god you can watch a sunset for five seconds and realize the glory and the beauty of what god has made and so when we talk about genesis chapter 1 We're not going to dive through this verse by verse per se, but we are going to look at a lot of verses. I want us to consider a few things when it comes to the context of this name and the context of Genesis chapter 1. Number one, I want us to consider the minuteness of creation. If you just pause and give thought to to the spectacular nature of creation. You look at the minuteness, and I I have a whole bunch of stuff, and this is where I get really excited, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but, but just to consider, consider as the psalmist declares, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, I think of man, and what is he to you that you would consider him? And you think about the minuteness of creation. The nerve cells in a brain. Doctors tell us that the human brain has 30 billion with a B. Nerve cells, each operating at a potential of nearly one-tenth of a volt of electricity. And over 35 years, those who are over 35 years of age lose 1,000 of them each day. And these cells are never replaced, yet the main functions of the brain will carry on till the end of life, even though there is a slight loss in the sensitivity of the five senses. The eyes, did you know that each of our eyes has 130 million little rods just for black and white? And 7 million for color vision. And they're connected to the brain by 300,000 nerve fibers the human eye can receive. Get this, 1.5 million messages simultaneously. Evolution doesn't stand a chance. The minuteness of creation that God would take and and create all these things and and you take a cell and you break it down under a microscope and and this this tiny function is is what comprises billions and billions that makes you. The minuteness of creation. The magnitude of creation. What is man that you are mindful of him when you consider how vast the universe is. Consider the distance of some stars. The nearest star visible to the naked eye is called Alpha Centauri. It's four and a half light years away. This is the nearest one. So, light year, I mean, if you remember that light travels at 250,000 miles per second. At about 250,000 times the distance the sun. So, I want you to to, to gravitate this. Uh, If you... Left earth, traveling at light speed, you would reach the moon in one and a half seconds. You would reach the sun in eight and a half minutes. But you would have to travel for four and a half years to reach Alpha Centauri. That's the closest. The closest. The farthest one is 1.5 million light years away. And that's the farthest that we can see with the naked eye. That's Andromeda. And there are uh, 6,500 million light years away. They, they, They think that there are galaxies beyond that. The sun is so large that you can fit 1 million balls the size of earth inside it. And some stars are so large that you could fit 500 million balls of the sun inside them. The star Betelgeuse, you love that one, right? 520 light years from Earth. It's one of the brightest stars in Orion's belt. Its diameter is 310 million miles. 310 million miles is the diameter. And what that means is that the Earth could comfortably rotate all around the sun on its orbit inside of it. You start to, to, to hear these things and you start to wonder how large our universe is. The magnitude of creation. The magnificence of creation. It is no wonder the psalmist in, in considering all these things. In Psalm 139, he says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Your heart Don't usually think of them until they give us trouble, right? The heart which God has put in your body beats 400 million times every year without any lubrication and without stopping. And your body produces more than 172 billion red blood cells yesterday to replace the damaged and worn out ones. We talk about the stars and and the the magnitude and the magnificence of it. Our solar system is part of a galaxy called the Milky Way. Astronomers have estimated that there are at least 100 million stars in our galaxy and the sun is just one star and the Milky Way is just one galaxy. Among many, astronomers tell us there are at least 100 million galaxies in the part of space that telescopes can see. I can't wrap my mind around all of these things, but they uh, make me feel small. They make me feel uh, like I really am not as important as I think I am. And so you consider the minuteness of creation, the magnitude of creation, the magnificence of creation, but the thing that we want to talk about today is the master of that creation. See, the Word of God begins... With Genesis chapter 1, not just to tell us about the beginning, but to tell us about the Master. Notice what it says. In the beginning, God. In four words, we're introduced to the Master. Four words. In the beginning, God created. We have here an introduction in the Word of God, not to just the creation, but an introduction to God. And it is introduced to us in this way. He is Creator. This establishes authority and it will establish priority. It's funny, in a world that declares the the things as truth such as evolution or uh, various things. People want to cry out and say there is no such thing as God. I find it interesting that Job, in in talking through his defense to his people that were counseling him, he says in Job chapter 12, but ask the beasts of the field. They will teach you. The birds of the heavens, they will tell you. The bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. The fish in the sea, they will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? We have scientists who proclaim in pride and, and arrogance that they know, yet the animals say, we know. And the trees say, we know the Lord has done this. Brothers and sisters, what we want to get this morning is so important when we talk about Elohim as creator and what this means. And so we we talk about the context. I want us to look at at the character. What does Genesis chapter 1 tell us about God? Um, There's so many things. Number one, the mention of God in here. Uh, You ever stop and pause and consider Elohim, the name God, is mentioned 32 times in 31 verses. Genesis chapter 1 is screaming to you, God, 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 God. He is the creator. He is the one. If you add the pronouns like he and him and us, it escalates to 41 times in 31 verses. Over and over again, Genesis chapter 1 is about one thing. See, we read this and we say, This is about the creation. This is about the creation. No, no, it's about the creator of the creation. Elohim. Not only that, the way that it is written is pretty incredible. Have you ever paused and thought about this? I'm going to teach you a new word this morning. Maybe you already know it. Poly- I can't even say it. Polysendeton. Right? Here's what it means. It's the use of a wording to slow us down. Okay? What word is used over and over again in Genesis chapter 1? It's a conjunction. And. And. You ever sit there and read it? Almost a hundred times in Genesis chapter 1 and 31 verses, the word and is used. You know why? Because the writer wants us to slow down and consider, and each word builds upon itself. And God said, and God saw, and God and and over and over again, it's used to slow us down and draw our attention to each phrase and word that is joined together. Over and over again. The text is screaming to us, God, God, Elohim, our Creator. But not just that, you can measure it. You can see His greatness. He created something from nothing. Only He creates I thought about, uh, uh, I was requested recently, in fact, last night, I, I was told, why, when are we going to have some more magic tricks? I, I, I thought about it, I really did, but uh, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not that good at magic tricks, but I think of magic tricks because um, it, it, I'll teach you a little bit of, of magic trick, trickery, magic, I don't know what you'd say. Isaiah's listening because he's, he's a magician, I hear. Um, every magic trick does one of three things. They're always the same. Every magic trick does one of three things. Um, They either create something, so they make something appear. They make something disappear or they make something change. I have a magic trick routine that I have done for kids for, for years because when I think through that, I think of the Gospel, right? You make something appear. Did God not do the greatest thing in making all of creation to appear from nothing? make something disappear ever since the fall of man we've been trying to make disappear sin but we can never do it and yet God has come in the form of Jesus Christ he has died on a cross so that we might be transformed and changed into the image of his son Jesus Christ through his righteousness what an incredible thing but the reality here is this is no magic trick. In fact, the word create in, in the entire word of God is only ever described of what God does. So anytime man does something, the word in the Hebrew is never create. It's either the word to make or to form something. But when we talk about create, it is only ascribed to God and his ability because he creates. And notice what he creates. He creates something from nothing. It is one of the age old questions that every human being will ask is, why is there something rather than nothing? And where did it come from? God is the only being that was not a creation. And notice the method of which He creates. You can read this over and over again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. uh, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. He did not need to use anything but His voice. I mean, think about that. In the Psalms, it talks about God speaking stars into existence by His very breath. Over and over again, Scriptures talk about God's power to speak. In Hebrews, it says that by the word of His mouth, all things were created. Speaking. Speaking. Notice what it says. It says, God said, and it was. It was immediate. It was instantly. It was immaculate. It was perfect. It was impeccable. Over and over again, these things tell us about who God is and who Elohim, this creator, is. And how? How does he do it? See, part of this word Elohim, it's derived from two words, and we'll talk about the second portion of it next, but the first portion is the word El, which means strong one or might, power. God did things because He was Almighty God by His power. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of hosts, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So what are, what are we getting at here? What do I want you to walk away with? Because if we look at the context here so Elohim it means the almighty creator. It's the the one who there's connotations of his power, his might, his strength. And so when we read this chapter and it screams out God, God, he is the center focus, he's the most important figure in this chapter and and so we walk through all these things and what I want us to see is a couple of things that Elohim should mean to us. And now you can take notes. These are the important notes to take. Number one, I want you to see a recognition. When you hear the word Elohim, I want your recognition to be how great is our God. Can we pause in our chaotic life and consider the might and the power and the magnitude of the One who spoke into existence everything that we can see and everything beyond what we can see and beyond what we can imagine? Can we pause? I mean, I'd be curious how many of us, when we walk outside and we see things like the Grand Canyon, when we see things, you know, you know we, we talk about things like the Grand Canyon because it's this vast, immense thing that we can't fathom. We go to Niagara Falls and we see it and we're like, wow, holy cow. But can we just walk outside and consider a blade of grass and recognize that an almighty creator spoke into existence that very thing that, that has the ability to, to, uh, to, to receive light and produce energy Can we walk out and and or or even for those of you who have animals, you know, your your dog that, that's right there, that 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 this amazing little thing, or large and you know, in the serene house soon. Um, the, the animal that 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 has the complexity that no human being could ever create or form. Can we just pause and consider that? When we hear the word Elohim, I want us to think of, of this incredible, glorious being that has made all things with incredible power. That's the first thing I want. Is a recognition. Second I want us to have a understanding of a relationship. The second part of that word is derived from a Hebrew word Allah which means to declare or to swear to make a covenant. When he says Elohim, and he'll say it over and over again throughout the Old Testament, whenever his name Elohim is referenced, it's in regards to a covenant-created relationship with his people. That the Creator of the universe, who is almighty, who is all-powerful, declares with this name, I desire to have a relationship with my creation. The same God who spoke into being all things desires to have a relationship with us. And He gives us everything we need for life. The call of the name Elohim is to a recognition of His glory. To a recognition of a relationship. And last, to a a, a recognition that you must have with a rationale. A mindset. I shared with... uh, Kids at camp a number of years ago. We talked about who is God, some theology of what is God. And we walked through Genesis chapter 1, and one of the things I, I gave them three words that I wanted them to have embedded in their minds. Three words that come to my mind when I read this passage. Number one, the word is powerful. Can we have faith that he is capable is the challenge. You read through the Scriptures and you, you read about how God is able. Isaiah 59.1 Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. In Matthew, Jesus says to His disciples, uh, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Genesis chapter 18, speaking to uh, Abraham with Sarah, uh, uh, God says that He's going to pro- provide for them a son Isaac, and, and, and Sarah kind of snickers at that, and, and, and God says to them, "...is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return, and you will have a son." Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12, it says, It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the Word by His wisdom, and by His understanding He stretched out the heavens. Colossians, as was read earlier, 1, verse 16, that all things have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him. Over and over again, the Word powerful. And I want you to understand, and what I share with these kids at, at camp was, God is able to do anything. When we read Genesis chapter 1, we should look at our problems in life and realize that they pale in comparison to what Elohim is capable of doing. That there is no circumstance in life that He is not capable of overseeing. And He is capable of taking care of. This is a mindset that I want us to have when we think of Elohim. Second, I want us to think of perfection. Notice what it says and understand this that what he made was perfect everything God made was perfect had no flaw no mistake over and over again Psalm 1830 it says the God this God his way is perfect Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 the rock his work is perfect I want you to do something for me here, okay? I'm going to read some verses. I'm going to pause at the end of the verse, and I want you to finish it for me, all right? So, Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 10, it says, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was... Good, you're good at this. Uh, verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and tree bearing fruit, uh, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was? Good. Verse 18. To rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was? Good. You're, you're really good at this. Verse 21. Says, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was? Verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was? Catching on. Verse 31. And God saw everything that He made. And behold, it was very. A little slow there, come on. Good. It wasn't just good. It was, as, as He says in that last verse, it was hyper good. It was ex- excellent. It was perfect. It was without flaw. Everything that God made was good. And this tells us what He thinks about His creation. It was perfect and good. And I shared with the kids at this camp, I said, what did God make last in His creation? His people. And that includes each one of you. And, and if nothing else, this, is, this isn't a uh, self-motivation, pump me up, puff out my chest, but know this, God made you and everything He made was good. He didn't make mistakes. He thinks you are perfect and good, especially for those who have come to Christ. He sees Jesus Christ and He sees perfection in you through His Son's atonement. God has not made any mistakes. The third word that I shared with the kids was passionate. Powerful. Perfection, passionate. When you think of Elohim and His creation, what He made, He is passionate about. Let that sink in. What God made, He loves. And what God loves most about what He made is you. Over and over again, one of my favorite verses in Scripture Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. God's portion is His people. God made this creation, and one day He will wipe it all out with fire. But His people, that's what He's gathering. That's what this whole book is about, that God is gathering His people from the ends of the earth, and He is pulling them all together, and He says, these are My people, and behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, and so now We are that God is gathering his people and he could care less about this creation. He created it for us and our enjoyment and one day he will melt it, the earth and the heavens with fire, but his people will remain because that's what he cares about. And he cares most about his people. And he is passionate about them. Over and over again, you can read scriptures that declare that truth. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Malachi 3.17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day that I take up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And not only that, he made and he saved the best for last in creation. Created everything, and then he said, And now, for the final enjoyment of all of creation, I create man. Augustine once said, God loves each of us as if we were the only one of us. God's delight is in you. So, what does all this mean? How do we apply this? We, we, we take these things, and these are great truths to have, these are things to, to consider. I want to give us three bits of application that we should walk away with. Number one, the greatness and holiness of God, His power there shouldn't be a day that goes by that we shouldn't pause each and every mon- morning, Mondays especially, and consider the greatness of His power. That He spoke all things. Can we, can we pause in our lives and, and remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, that all of creation testifies to Him. And can we pause in our lives and consider that our one purpose is and why God created us, was to bring Him glory. When we hear Elohim, it should declare to us the truth that this is an almighty, all-powerful God that spoke things so large, so minute, so magnificent into being by speaking them. And just pause and worship Him. Second, I want us to consider the awesome privileges Christians that we have that Elohim wants to be a part of our lives. Elohim who spoke into being all things has declared in a name that we will look at in a little while, in about two weeks, Emmanuel, God with us. That He dwelt among us. It says in John that the Word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, literally tented, Among us, the one who created all these things, the one that no box could contain, that no house could say. I've been reading through uh, uh, Chronicles right now, which is uh, the first 10 chapters are super fun to read. But when you get through it, eventually David has this passion, this desire to build a house for God. And God says, there is no house that could contain me. And yet He has come to us and this is the Gospel that we ought to be rejoicing in over and over again that the One who created us who then watched as we we fell into sin and temptation and every single human being has been plagued with the disease of sin in life that requires and exacts from a holy and just God a punishment which no man could ever pay. And God said, I, the Creator of the universe, will create a way for man to come to Me. And He came and He lived and He dwelt among mankind. He lived a perfect and holy life. Faultless. Perfect. And then He said, I will willingly sacrifice my life in substitution of the punishment that is demanded of you. And He died and He was buried and He was raised from the dead. And because of that, all who would come to Him and accept that substitution can find eternal life. The last challenge of this text for me is this Are his priorities the same as my priorities? What are God's priorities? His people. Gathering his people. Proclaiming the truth of his word to his people that they might come to him. That's why he came. He came to live and and dwell among a people that He created. And again, in 1 John, we're told that when He came to His own, His own did not receive Him, but they rejected Him. And they scorned Him, and they spit upon Him, and they slapped Him, and they they beat Him, and they crucified Him. And, And this is the God that created all things and at any moment could have spoke into existence angel armies to defend Him, and yet He did not because he was trying to gather his people, because that was his priority. And the question that I have when I walk through this is I ask myself the question, is my priority people? People. Do I have a love for people the way he does? That he would willingly die for others to carry the truth of the message of salvation. Brothers and sisters, we spend our time so oftentimes acquiring things. And we gather up things. And we spend our life on things. Things that are worthless in the scope of eternity. And the reality is that God reminds us as Creator that He made the heavens and the earth, and yet His care for them is that one day He will melt them. But His people... He will persist in, and He will pursue, and He will gather, and He will love. And so when I read this, I think through those, those words that He is powerful, that He is uh, 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 passionate, that He is perfect. And I think through of what that means for my life, and I ask myself these questions. Do I pause and worship Him for His great power? Do I consider the fact that He desires a relationship with me? And do I consider His priorities? So as Stephen comes, I want us to to walk through those things, to think through those, and and to remind ourselves the context that in in Genesis chapter 1, we have so many incredible truths, so many things, the establishment of one important fact that God is the Creator and the Master of creation, and He has declared to us His name, and His name is Elohim, that I am Almighty Creator, and if there is something that we need, He is more than capable because He loves His people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You that there is nothing too hard for You. And Father, I know there are people here today that are hurting. Because life is filled with sin. Sin that desires to destruct, to ravage our bodies, to ruin relationships, to break us down. And Father, as broken people, we come before the Creator of the universe. Father, I pray that we would have the faith to to believe. To believe that You are able and to believe that You desire to do for us the very things that we need. So Father, I pray for us this morning that we would be challenged and encouraged, that we would remind ourselves of the truth that Elohim is more than capable because He is Jehovah, our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.